All right, good evening, everybody. If you'll turn to the book of Titus, if you will, chapter 1 is where we'll be tonight. Titus 1. Short little epistle written at the same time of 1 Timothy. So he's not in prison um, like 2 Timothy was. He's, uh, he's in Macedonia, we believe Paul is. So, um, And that's where we'll... We'll dig in tonight. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts and that we'd um, be touched as Aaron already prayed, changed and transformed by your word. So much in this little book, um, so much to learn about church organization and and uh, qualifications and expectations and all these things that um, the world would like us to leave behind, but you call us to hold hold to steadfastly. And so God, I pray that tonight we'd, we'd learn it, we'd understand it, we'd keep it in our hearts, and um, that we'd live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus was a, kind of an obscure character in the scriptures. Um, he was a companion of Paul's. He would travel with him um, at different times. We see him a little bit in the book of Acts. He Picked up some money for Paul uh, when he stopped by uh, a church for Jerusalem, a carrier, courier. Um, Beyond that, we don't know much about him, but he's obviously been someone who can be entrusted with a very serious ministry, a very difficult task, and that was to straighten out, not straighten out, more like establish the church in Crete. Um, Crete was not a fun place to minister, and we'll read about that tonight. It was not a an easy mission field, but there aren't any easy mission fields. There just aren't. Um, and Paul makes sure that Timothy, or Titus, I'll make that mistake quite a bit tonight, I'm sure, uh, exchanging those two names. Or, But Titus um, needs to know what he's been called to, what his task is, and he gives him a letter to reference back to. That's the point of this. Remember what you're here for. He probably already told him in person when he sent him or commanded him to go. But he gives him this letter because there must be some indication to Paul that Titus is wavering. Uh, Just like Timothy may have been wavering a little bit. Don't, Don't be timid, Timothy. The same would be for Titus. Titus, don't be timid about your ministry. Um. In verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's his typical greeting when he speaks to the pastors, is to add that mercy in there, grace, mercy, um, because they're going to need mercy. They're going to need that. And we've talked about that when we discussed 1 Timothy. Um. When you are in charge of a ministry or been commanded like Titus is to set up a ministry in a different church, not everything's going to go as expected. It is going to be a very fluid situation. You never know who you're going to come in contact with or what the arguments are going to be or what kind of things you'll have to refute or encourage. 
And so there needs to be mercy. And you need to understand that as a pastor and as someone who's in leadership that you're going to do your best to do it right. What God calls us to, all of us, in our own ministries, whatever he calls you to and whatever he's called me to, is to be faithful in the calling, to stay true. In the midst of the mercy and the true calling, I think if what I really feel like God bringing out in this tonight is if you don't know you have mercy for the mistakes you make, you'll be tempted to change the trajectory of the ministry to please the people you think you've offended in the process of trying to do things right and therefore not staying true to the calling of God. And so Paul is trying to tell Titus, you have mercy. Maybe you didn't say that right or do that right, but don't forget and don't get off message. Don't get off message from what God called you to. Now, when Paul introduces himself here to Titus, or at least and to Timothy and to anybody else reading this letter, and to us, since this is scripture, he calls himself a bondservant. And if you don't know what that is, it's important that you do. A servant is someone who, um, at the time, if you were a Hebrew, if you got yourself into some kind of horrible debt, you couldn't find work, you couldn't pay it off, you could be an indentured servant. You could turn yourself over to a master for a seven-year period or longer. And you could say, I'll work this off. I have no other way, but I'll, I'll be your servant. And at the end of that time period, he must release you. Now, after you're through with your duration of servanthood and you've cleared your debt, you do have the option then to move on with your freedom or to commit yourself to this master. And if he's a good master, now we don't under, identify with this, if he's a good employer and he seems to take care of you and, and all, you could commit the rest of your life to him. You, you didn't get another seven years, you, you had to go all the way. And the reason that was, was because now he's going to invest in you. He's going to pour into you. This guy's committed himself. I'm, I'm going to bury this guy on my land. I know that he's here for the long haul. I can teach him and train him in every aspect of my work or my business. And I know it's going to be valuable to me because I'm not going to lose him in a year. We have a culture that's very different from that today. And in fact, and I've looked at the statistics and I've read it, but it's true. Job hopping does get you ahead quicker. It does increase your worth. Loyalty isn't as coveted as it used to be in the workplace. Maybe that's because they're used to people leaving, and so the companies have, a, have just evolved. But if you look at it and you look at the statistics, it is more beneficial to work someplace a year, look for someplace else, add 20%, 30% to your salary and jump to that job. And if they don't want to jump you 20% at that place, you go to another place, it'll jump you 20%. You increase greatly as opposed to the standard, <laughs> we're going to give you a 3% raise. Inflation currently has been at 6 to 7 to 8%. So a 3% raise is a 3% decrease in pay. So you can understand that, okay? This was different. This was not only am I going to provide room and board for you as my now 
bond slave, bond servant, someone who's dedicated their life to me, to this business, I'm going to take care of your wife, I'm going to take care of any kids you have, any grandkids you have, there was a commitment there. And so there was a, there was a mutually beneficial relationship there. Well, of course, that's why Paul says, I'm a bondservant of God. I've chosen this. I've made a decision to follow the Lord. I've made a decision to commit my life to him for the rest of my life, for all of my life, not for partial, not for seven years. I'm not trying God on for size, but I commit myself to him. And God then will commit to you wisdom, strength, training, knowledge, gifts. All these things will be given. Paul's a bondservant of God, and he wants Titus to know that because he wants Titus to pick up on the fact that you need to be a bondservant too. We all do. All of us do. Committed. So often, um, the relationship with God depends on what he's done for us lately. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And so as Titus may be waning in his responsibilities and duties here in Crete, having second thoughts about it, Paul reminds him, remember, we're bond servants. That doesn't make any difference what kind of day you had today. You don't get to call in sick, Titus. You got to go. He's also an apostle of Jesus Christ, which takes me to the next thought in this. I, you hear at times that God, you know, people don't like organized religion. I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. That's their excuse for not going to church and having to serve or tithe or anything or of worth. They just go in their fishing boat and say, I don't like organized religion. And somehow that elevates them above everybody else. It's too stupid to figure that out. Well, the Bible and God and Jesus Christ are very much in favor of organized religion. Very much. In fact, the position of apostle is something that Jesus Christ gives to someone to be a part of. It's an office of the church. In fact, there's several offices, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, an apostle. Paul is a part of those offices. And in fact, that's exactly what Titus is going to be called to do here in the next section of Scripture, is I want you to set up Leadership in the church. It's organized. God loves organization. Now, he doesn't want us to organize him out of the equation to where we don't need the Holy Spirit and his guidance, but we do need order. The very first time we, we saw this, at the early birth of the church, the apostles were studying and, and teaching, and, and then there arose a dispute among some widows that were of the Hellenist persuasion and didn't get their allotted portion of the daily distribution. So everybody would come at the beginning and drop off everything at the apostles' feet. The apostles would then hand it out to everybody else kind of thing. But a group was being left out, probably because they were Hellenists, because they were Greek. And so they made a, a formal complaint against the apostles. And the apostles said, it's not good that we should leave the word of God to deal with this matter. Let's find seven men full of the Holy Spirit that can do this task so that we can stay. So all of a sudden you've got this break into those who deal with the spiritual things and those who deal with the physical things of the church, the deacons and the, and the apostles. And God continues to add to that to get more organization and this isn't just a New Testament concept. This is an Old Testament concept as well. When Moses was leading the children of Israel, and they would come to and line up and have their complaints heard by Moses only. Well, 
His father-in-law came up and said, Moses, what you're doing is not good for the people or for yourself. You can't bear this burden. There's millions of people waiting in line. And they can't come back tomorrow. They need their stuff dealt with. So you need to get guys in charge of thousands and hundreds and fifties and organize this a little bit so that people can be reached and their problems can be dealt with faster. You know, Organization is very much a part of God's ideas and his plan. And so we need to have that. So that's what this book is about. Titus, I want you to get this leadership and this church started and organized. So I want you to pick some elders is what he's getting at. Now, he's a bond servant. He's an apostle. He's been walking with the Lord. Titus, you're a true son in the common faith. There are sons and then there are true sons. Timothy was a true son. Titus was a true son. Titus is faithful to do what God, or, you know, Paul, or God through Paul, commanded him. Verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city, as I commanded you. I won't stop every verse, but this is important. You see two very strong words in that verse that we don't hear very often. First of all, Paul commanded Titus to go. He didn't have a choice. That's where you're going. I don't feel called there. I don't care. I need you to go to Crete and get things straightened out. You know? And while Titus is there, Titus's job is to appoint. There's order. There's leadership. There is some structure to this. We don't vote. We don't vote. Titus, go, and then Titus shows up and says, you. And that's how that's supposed to work. That's what I want you to do. Find some guys in Crete that are believers in Jesus Christ that can do this work, that can maintain this church. I'm not going to leave you there forever, but while you're there, I need you to set this stuff up. And so he commands, and he calls Titus to appoint these elders. Now, the word elder can be called bishop. It can be called pastor. That's the word we use. Some other churches use the word bishop, and there's some more things mixed in with that. Oftentimes when you hear the word bishop, you're a little, because it's odd, it's funny to our ears. Bishop, what do you mean? You get a big hat, you know, or, or what? But that isn't always the case. Um, but different, different countries use different terms. The, the leader of the church, I want you to appoint a leader of the church there in Crete is the idea. So call them what you want. Elders, bishop, pastor, whatever. Appoint them. Get them ready. And here's what I want them to look like. There are some qualifications for these people that you're about to pick in every city. Okay. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. You can't lead a church if you can't lead your family. Simple as that. If you can't handle the kids and the the first sheep that God gives you, your kids and your your family, to take care of and to shepherd and provide for and to give spiritual guidance to. If you can't do that, you certainly can't handle a church. It's way too much for them. You need to focus on your home. So find someone who's got their house in order, who's raised children that are faithful, and they're not in a life of dissipation, which is a, a downward spiral into debauchery. Find someone whose uh, kids aren't insubordinate, Because that's going to be an issue. If you can't deal with an insubordinate child, 
you certainly can't deal with insubordinate people in the church who won't submit. Very important. So you're going to have to be a strong leader, and he has to have already showed that in his home. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. This man that you choose for each city to lead the church in that city has to be understand, have to understand, first of all, that they're a steward of God's ministry. You're a caretaker. You don't get to be self-willed in this matter. You don't get to decide what the church is going to be and what it isn't going to be. You have to do what God says it is. That's the beauty of the Word of God. I don't have a choice as to what Calvary Chapel looks like. We have some room, <laughs> but very little room. It's, it's got to teach the Bible. We have to have worship. We have to pray, and we have to have communion. We need to do baptisms. There's things that the Scriptures say, this is what a church does. Now, there are things you can add to it and take away, but at the very least, this is the core ministry. And the reason it has to be grounded in God's Word is for other people, when they show up at a church, they should be able to open their Bible and say, oh, I see this church is reflecting what Scripture says a church should be. So you've got to follow that. So, Titus, when you pick this person, make sure that they're sound in their doctrine. I, there's a move away from that as if it's not important. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. That's all I hear is doctrine. Where is the, and they describe whatever it is they think the church is missing. Where's this? You know. Well, you don't know what this is that you think you're missing unless you had sound doctrine. The sound doctrine has to come first. You have to have that sound doctrine. It has to be bulletproof doctrine. And the person that you're going to put in charge needs to be not self-willed, understand they're a steward of God, and they have to have sound doctrine so that by sound doctrine, they can exhort and convict those who contradict because they're going to be there. The contradictors. The people who sneak in and stand by the coffee out there. We, we had a guy one time... He came for years, just a delightful person to be around. And I walked by one time, and I heard him say, well, the Book of Mormon is just another gospel. And I went, what in the world? Who are you? And I had to refute him with sound doctrine. What do you mean? How long have you been coming here, and you still are a part of that and think that that's true? And we had to correct that. He received it, sort of. But you have to be the kind of person that hears something like that and is able to then act upon it. You know, that's not okay. You can't be telling everybody at the car, especially new believers who don't know any better. They just assume that everybody in this church knows what they're talking about and they're just a brand new believer. The Book of Mormon, I'll get, one, I'll get a copy of that. I'll come bring you one next week. Well, thanks. You know, no, no, stop. Titus has got a problem in Crete. Paul has a problem in Crete, and he sent Titus to straighten it out. So when you pick somebody, Titus, make sure that they have these qualifications. They're non-negotiable. They won't survive it. It's not fair to that person. 
that you put in that position, if they don't have this down, it's not fair to them to put them in a position where they're going to have to do something they're not equipped to do. They can't. So that's the person you're looking for. They can't be quick-tempered. Don't want them shoving people around or yelling at people or getting mad at people and having rage issues. Wrong. You need to have an even keel. Not given to wine. Wine just ruins everything. It just does. One leads to another. Breaks down. Cannot be under the influence. Let's leave it at that. Not violent. So not quick-tempered and not violent. They, they, they don't go from white to red hot, you know. Doesn't mean you don't have time, sir. You need to get, in, not violent, but deal with things. You know, Paul yells a lot at people. There's a lot of exclamation points in his letters and says, don't worry, I'm coming. It's kind of threatening, you know. Not that I'm going to beat you up, but you're going to, we're going to deal with this face-to-face. I, re, I, I, I pushed back against Peter, Paul says, face-to-face. I, I confronted Peter about his hypocrisy. You know, there's, there's times like that. I'm sure that was a heated exchange. I'm sure Barnabas and Paul had a heated exchange about John Mark. You're just not violent about these things or threaten violence. You're not greedy for money. You don't go in for the money. Shouldn't have much to do with the money. You got to have something to do with the money, but you can't be too involved in the money to where it becomes your goal or your aim. Watch out for those guys that are greedy. They will take advantage of their ministry opportunities there and, and take advantage of the ministry itself. Be careful. And so you want someone who's stable in that. Financially stable is important. As you read through these things, you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't meet some of these criteria. It's not that you can't minister. It's just if you want someone to be the leader, they can't be vulnerable in these areas. And so that's why you're trying to pick. Not everybody gets to be a pastor. Not everybody gets to be at the, at the, at the pinnacle the, where the buck stops. You know, There's other places to minister that maybe don't require these things. But you can't be, well, you got to be careful. They need to be financially stable. They need to be even keeled. They can't have this violent temper where nobody knows how they're going to act. They can't be greedy. They've got to be hospitable. To be able to let people come into the church that maybe aren't of your kind, you know, economically, Gender wise, you know, and these women, they cause nothing but problems in the church. You know, I made that up just to pick on you a little bit. Or anything else that can cause you to think, eh, we'd be better off without them here, whoever they are. No, no, no. You need to be hospitable. If you have an inhospitable pastor, then nobody feels welcome, nobody feels like they can come. You know, they feel like they're outcasts. They have to be hospitable. A lover of what is good, not someone who loves evil, but loves good. Is looking out for people. How do you lead somebody or lead a flock in the right direction if you don't know what the right direction is? Or if you yourself aren't aimed in that direction? A lover of good. They're sober-minded. I have a problem with oversharing. I know that about myself. I overshare with people. I'll be talking to someone about a topic, and I'll, be, I'll just go off on this story, and they're looking at me going, that is, that is not what we were talking about. You know? 
And at the end, to, to me, it seemed relevant, but to them, they're like, is, is that a yes or a no? You know, it's like, uh, it's a yes. I overshare. I need to be sober-minded. You can't be, I don't want to be weird, you know? I mean, there's a little weirdness. Hopefully it comes out as humorous and not scary, but, you know, but you got to be sober-minded. You're not tossed to and fro, you know? The world doesn't throw you for a loop. Political events don't throw you for a loop. Conspiracies don't throw you for a loop. You know what you're going to do. You're, say, you're, you're a ship that's so heavy and, and, and true to the, to the direction God's called you to that there's nothing that's going to stand in your way. You're, you're going to make your destination. You know? Sober-minded. They need to be just, Fair. Bible talks about that all the time. The rich guy isn't always right because he's rich, and the poor guy isn't always right because he's poor. You need to weigh these things out, and you need to make sure that you're just and always. Don't be a respecter of persons. Respect people, but don't be a respecter of persons above others. You've got to be careful of that. Holy. It's the only thing in the Bible that God ever says about himself three different times. Holy, holy, holy. doesn't say love, love, love. Mercy, 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 grace, grace, grace. The only thing that's ever said three times about him is holy, holy, holy. It's very important. Be holy for I am holy. The leader needs to be holy. Look for a holy person. That almost covers everything else, doesn't it? You could almost fold everything else into it, all these other criteria into this one word, but he does add it. Self-controlled. They're able to control themselves. That's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You're not controlled or need to be controlled by anything else or anyone else but the Holy Spirit in you. Self-controlled. Disciplined. Nobody has to get me out of bed on Sunday morning to come to church and teach the Bible. I'm going to be here, you know. We do little tests like that. They're not really tests, but it does show who can be a leader and who can't be a leader. Can they self-govern? Can they start a project and finish it? Without constant supervision or constant prodding or constant reminding, you know. I do little things. There's a leadership conference here at the end of September. If you want to go, sign up. Don't ask me any questions about it. Figure it out. Can you get online and Google things? Can you find out where it is, you know? Can you look at... Can you look these things up? Are you able to to traverse the craziness of signing up for a conference without somebody doing it for you? Without somebody, you know, I don't know where it is. Kind of, <laughs> you're not a leader. You can't be in leadership. You got to know where you're going to go and get there, and be able to take people with you. Hold fast the faithful word. Holding fast to God's word, you will not be moved from it. I mean, it's so boring about yourself that you will never be moved from the Word of God. No one, no one could ever pull you away from it, you know. That was one of the things I said about you, Mick, was when you were running the radio station, I, I said, it's like a bulldog. We're not going to put that on because that doesn't teach. I mean, it's just, there, there was just no getting, and I never, I don't think I ever told you to do something, like that, but you got those inquiries. Can we, can we put this on? No. You know, kind of thing. 
this bulldog with it. I'm not letting go of this thing, you know. If you're going to be a leader in the church, if you can't hold fast the word of truth, if you don't have any of these other things, these other attributes, you're going to not hold fast to the truth because you're going to want to be a people pleaser as opposed to a ministry steward of God's. Faithful word. The word is faithful. As he has been taught that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, by God's word, by the truths in God's word, by the things that God wants us to know and has taught us both to exhort and convict those who contradict. They're there. They've got their own ideas and their own thoughts and other books that we need to read and things and stories they want to tell and anything to move us away from the teaching of the word of God. It's amazing how many distractions there are available to us to move us away from God's word. I get, um, I, I like the fact that people come to our church because they like the worship. They do. Um, but that can't be what draws you to a church. It needs to be sound doctrine that draws you to a place of worship. That's, that has to be the first and most important criteria for finding a place. I don't care if you've got a fourth grader doing the clarinet up here for worship. If the sound doctrine is there, that's a church to be a part of. Some of you have fourth graders who have played the clarinet. They're not very good was the idea behind them. They're a little screechy. Now, it's a bonus if the worship is good, but the sound doctrine has to be there. It cannot be set aside for emotionalism or for for feelings. It has to be there. It's the most important thing. Because it's by sound doctrine that you're able to grow. The word of God increases our faith. That's the only way you can stop the rebellious from taking over a church, is by sound doctrine. See, one of the, the best... Uh, the best, what's the right words? I'm trying to write. When you're being attacked by a disease, the, the best thing that you can do is to have a healthy, strong immune system. Yes, there's medicines that can probably handle that disease and can come in and support your immune system or come alongside of it and strengthen it, but your, your best defense against getting sick or ill is strong, healthy body. Paul is trying to convince and encourage Titus to set up someone who is strong and healthy because that's going to be the best defense. Now, it isn't going to stop all the rebellion or it isn't going to stop all the confrontations, but boy, if you find someone like this and they greet you at the door in Crete and your idea was, I'm going to change this church to the way I want it to be, and you reap this person, you're like, this is going to be a long, long process. I'm going to find an easier target. Forget it. It saves a ton of headaches to have this. When you have someone who has sound doctrine, who can buy the word of God, has a good working knowledge of scripture, all of it, you don't have to know everything, but you have a good solid working knowledge of scripture, you're able to do these things and correct. Someone's going to come up. I just had that question (laughs) this week. So what does this group believe? I got to know. I don't know all of it, but I was able to tell them the basics of what this group believes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, that's it. I have to know what Calvinism is. I need to know what 
uh, Arminianism is. I need to know the balance between the two. I need to know the scriptures that back up and refute or encourage or whatever it is. And you need to know those things and have these things down to be in leadership because you're going to get those questions and you'll get people that want to convince and change the way the church is. I actually think I got a solution to that. The battle that's been waging, everybody says there's never going to be a solution between those two things. I think I found it. I was out mowing this week, and I'm not being arrogant. I'm just saying, I I told Jenny about this. I was out mowing, quiet. I just love mowing. There's no phones. There's nobody trying to get a hold of you. And if they are, they can't get a hold of you because, and I'm just mowing. And, And God brought to my mind, I was thinking about a different thing, but you know how your mind just wanders around. Anyway, he took me to the plagues in Egypt. And I was thinking about the plagues. And I'm like, you know, of the 10 plagues, nine of them were completely in God's control and had nothing to do with the people. The frogs were coming, the lice was coming, and he said who was and who isn't going to get what. Darkness over here, light over here. He made all the decisions. But the last plague, the plague that had to do with the lamb's blood, had to be a conscious decision by the person to choose to believe God, to trust in God, and to apply themselves, the blood, to the doorposts of their life, of their heart. Now, anybody on the other side of that door who chose to believe God, anybody, Egyptian, Ethiopian, Hebrew, could be saved if they chose the lamb. I thought, well, well that kind of solves it, doesn't it? I mean, how do you how do refute, refute that? So there, I fixed it. So someone write a book. Verse 10. For there are many insubordinate. <laughs> you need all of this criteria, Titus, when you pick a person, because there are many insubordinate. They will not submit to sound doctrine. They're both idle talkers and deceivers. So I don't know if you know the difference between the two. Sometimes there's this idle talker who will say all the, the, the phrases, the spiritual phrases you're supposed to say, you know. And, and, and New Age is famous for this, you know. There's hours and hours of just talking about nothingness. And when you're done, you're just like, I felt so warm, but I, I don't think I learned anything, you know, kind of things. Like, I, I don't know what they said, but boy, I need, I need to come back next week for more of that. This is emptiness, you know, deadness. Those are idle talkers. But there's also deceivers, purposefully changing thoughts and ideas and trying to make the church into something that it's not supposed to be. There are many of these people that are idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, meaning the Jewish believers, if they're believers, but of the circumcision at least, they're Jewish. They will come in and tell you that you need to have this, you need to have the circumcision. Fine, you believe in Jesus, but you also need to be a Jew first. And so get baptized in the Jewish faith, and then you can become a, a Christian all you want, but you need to be circumcised, and you need to follow the law, and, and all these other things. You can have your Jesus, whatever you want to do with Jesus, but you have to have this. Idle talkers, deceivers. And you're going to have to do something about that, because that can't go on. That can't go unanswered, Titus. So make sure that whoever you pick is able to do these things. And they have to do it by sound doctrine. Whose mouths must be stopped or muzzled. Who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not. 
for the sake of dishonest gain. Now we think of gain as money, but there's a lot of ways to gain. The, the, the Jews hated Jesus because they, he took their power away from them. More people were following him than were following them. And so he's got to go, is the idea. So there's that kind of gain. There is the financial gain also. People will pay to hear what they want to hear. And many people are willing to teach whatever you want to hear so that you'll drop that 20 bucks or 1995 into their pockets. That's why so many books are sold. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is or what it's, whether it's true or not. I got a thousand people to buy my $19 book. I'm set. I got some good cash flow there. They're there, he says, and they're everywhere. And they subvert whole households. You lose whole families because of this idle talk and because of this deceptive teaching. It says, Titus, you've got to stop them. That's important. You wouldn't let a, a rabid dog loose in your home or in your church. You know, you'd muzzle it. You'd get a hold of it. You'd stop it kind of thing because of the damage it can do physically to you or to them or to anybody else in there. You know, imagine that. We see a dog running out here from one of the neighbors or something. Get the dog, you know. I don't care if they say he's friendly or not. He's not going to be running around out there with the kids, you know. You handle it. Well, this is far more important. This is eternal. They're subverting whole households. It needs to stop. Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, a Cretan, Cretan <laughs> prophet said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this testimony is true. Now there's some debate as what Paul meant by that. It's true that the prophet said it, or the Cretans are like that. And I think that's what it means. In context... It seems pretty rough, but hey, here's the thing. He's not saying that the Cretans are just, you know, well, the Irish, you know, they're always, they're always angry kind of thing. He's not saying that, you know. He's just saying that's what your area is known for. That's what Crete is known for. It's, it's a dark, dark place, and it's dark in these areas. They're liars. They're evil beasts. They live like beasts. They live like animals. They've given themselves over to the lust of the flesh and they're lazy gluttons, not wanting to work, but always consuming for themselves. This is a true statement. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Timothy, or Titus, I told you I'd do that again. Titus, set somebody up that can handle that. You need to deal with that. You can't let it go. Don't let the church in Crete become Cretanized. Don't let Crete creep in a lot of C's and R's there, into the church. See, culture has nothing to do with it. Culture has nothing to do with it. Fine, you eat different kinds of foods, you speak different languages, you do different hand gestures. Germany, this is three. America, this is three. Some people do that. I mean, there's just different things. Fine. That we can let go. But when it comes to being a biblical Christian, there's no room. I don't care if that's how you've always treated your wives. You're not treating them like that anymore because the scriptures tell us that. I don't care if that's how you've always treated your kids or how you've always treated your husband. Or I don't care about that. You're going to treat them the way the Bible says. That's, a, that's not acceptable to God's culture because remember, we're citizens of heaven. I am no longer a United States citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven and I need to represent him as an ambassador of that country, of that kingdom. 
And so does every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth has to adopt this kingdom as their home of origin, you see. So when these Cretans begin to act like this, yeah, it may be tough, and you think it's the toughest place ever, and it probably is a tough place to minister. Don't lower the standard for them. Don't bring it down. Well, you know, they're a little better anyway. And, you know, so when you pick your pastor, when you pick your leader, when you pick your bishop, your elders in these different cities, make sure that they've reached the standard. Make sure that they're at least aiming for that standard, that that's where they want to be. They're not, oh, this is okay. It's good enough for Crete, you know. Didn't expect anything out of Crete. Look at Crete. Crete's okay. They're all right. There are no Corinthians. <laughs> that was a bad city too. Don't lower those expectations. Don't lower that criteria because of where you are. Sharply rebuke them. Wow. Church discipline is really important. Church organization is very important. doesn't matter what our culture says or the tra- trajectory of the American church right now. It doesn't make any difference. God's word says it's very, very important to have this. Otherwise, if you don't rebuke them sharply and you let the evil beasts, the lazy gluttons and the liars gain control of the church, and if you let these people go unchecked who subvert whole households, why are you surprised when the church collapses or doesn't have any power in it? We have a problem. We call it, we used to call it, it changes its name all the time, but we used to call it a seeker-friendly church. And we would mock it in the sense that, and, and, and rebuke it, because the idea was we don't want to offend anybody. And, and Now, there's a difference between being an unwelcoming church, which every church should be, a welcoming church at least. doesn't mean we let everything go, but we're welcoming. We're a hospitable. But to the point where people don't feel conviction anymore in the church, that's a dangerous place to be in, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Anybody in Scripture, any man, woman, or child that ever ran into God or came across the Lord or had an encounter with God felt inadequate, felt humbled, saw their faults before him, depart from me, you know, I'm a wicked man. What, what do you want, Lord? There was this automatic response. And that, it didn't even have to be God. It could be an angel. And the people were just like, oh. You know, to be in that presence of that kingdom in its purest form, there was a convicting time for them. So when you walk into a church and you say, well, I felt judged. Did you feel judged or convicted? Did you encounter the Holy Spirit? Was Was God's presence there to where you felt inadequate and you felt humbled and maybe even broken? And I didn't like that feeling. I'm usually on top and in charge. But when I went there, whoa. And you blamed something other than, well, actually God trying to get a hold of you and help you. The only way that feeling goes away, the only way that can depart from a church is if God departs. Well, I can go to that church, and I love it. I can do whatever I want to. I never feel bad. I always feel good. I'm always, well, I don't want us to always feel bad, but there ought to be that reverence and that holiness that you encounter when you encounter the Holy Spirit in the fellowship. If you're not feeling that or experiencing that, then he's not there. 
It's important. Rebuke them sharply, that they may, that they may be sound in the faith. We're not rebuking them sharply to destroy them. We're not rebuking them sharply to make them feel horrible and unrecoverable in God's eyes. No, it's to, it's to do the work that the church is supposed to do. That they may be sound in faith. Sound is, you know, uh, we have some chairs here. Some of these chairs are really sound. The ones that aren't sound, the broken ones, we put away and we think we're going to repair and we hold on to them for three months and then we throw them away because we never repair them. Those are unsound chairs that we don't want people sitting on and falling into and and, and hurting themselves. These are sound chairs. Get the idea? We need to have sound faith. And if someone doesn't have sound faith, that's God's work. He repairs. he, he, He restores. He makes them sound, whole. And so the sharp rebuke isn't to just hurt people's feelings. It's to give them sound faith. Rebuke them sharply because they're liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Someone's got to tell them. That's not fun. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. That's what will happen. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Some have taken this verse 15 and they've added it or, or connected with it. Um, let me get to it. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So with this then, to all things, they thought that because they're saved, they could do anything they wanted to do. I make everything pure. Because I'm pure and God has saved me, which, which is really nothing more than the, oh, what do they call it? Um, Gnosticism. Uh, which, which they said, well, whatever I do in the spirit is holy and godly and pure. And then whatever I do in the flesh is just my flesh. It's going to die anyway. It doesn't make any difference. So you could live this dual life of, oh, I love the Lord. And then on Friday night, you could just let your flesh go because who cares? It's going to die anyway. And they justified that in their minds. They could do that. And they put these two, they, they do that today too. And they put these two verses together. All things are pure to those who are pure. And they think that means I've made all things pure. It doesn't matter how I live my life because I'm saved, because I'm purified. It's pure. No, you can't make wickedness pure. (laughs) You can't make wrong right. That's not how it works. So anyway, that's what he's saying. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. They can defile everything. If you're going to pick somebody, Titus, to be the pastor, and they are, or bishop, or elder, or whatever you want to call them, if you're going to pick somebody to do this and they're not straightened out in these areas, they're going to defile everything else. They'll taint it. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. So whatever their motives are for doing it, it won't be pure. They profess to know God, but in works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient and disqualified for every good work. And that's the key word. They're disqualified. They have, they profess to know God. Guys, who doesn't? Who doesn't profess to know God? Oh, I know Jesus. Do you live for him? 
Or have you given your life to him and, you, and you've committed your life to holiness? You know, well, you know, define holiness. You know, then, and they go through the arguments. No, you know the difference. A Christian, a born-again believer, can't sin without grief and remorse. If you can sin in your life without grief or remorse and live a happy life full of sin, you're probably not born again. You don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit isn't cheering you on in your sin because wherever a believer goes, he takes the Lord with him. Whatever he watches, God watches. Whatever he listens to, God listens to. Whatever that person does, Jesus does. And if there's, there should be grief, a power within you, the Holy Spirit within you, telling you, don't take me there ever again. This is horrible. I hate this. I hate everything about this. That should be there in the believer. If you don't have that, that's what he's warned about. Watch out for people like that. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient. James is very clear on this, and we'll close with this. James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For when he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James says you've got to be doing it. If you say you believe it, you will be doing it. Otherwise, you don't truly believe it, is the idea. Now we'll get into chapter two. It's got a heavy book. It's going to be a heavy book, so stand by. But read ahead next week. We'll do chapter two. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for conviction. We thank you for encouragement. We thank you for sharp rebukes if we have to have them, God. We really don't want those, but we'll take them if they're from you. God, we want to be sound in our faith, sound in doctrine to understand what your word says, to have a good working knowledge of scripture, to help others, to get their faith sound. We can't tell people about you if we don't know about you, if we're not experiencing you, if we're not being changed by you. So we thank you for tonight's lesson. We thank you for your word. I pray that it bear a lot of fruit in our lives, Lord, that we would be changed by it tonight and be different tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.